Well, we're going to carry on in our study of James, and we're going to look at the very first part of it. Um, have you guys ever taken a test? I hate tests. Uh, I hated tests when I was in school, and this, this would have been a high score for me um, on any test. Uh, I, I didn't particularly do that well in school, um, and it's mainly not because I'm stupid, just because I didn't care, um, but I didn't like taking tests. But why do we take tests? What's the purpose of a test? To discover what you know or maybe don't know. Uh, my problem is I never showed up for class, uh, especially in college, and I, I would always show up on the day they were giving the test. So I hadn't studied, I hadn't prepared, and I, I didn't usually do very well. Uh, but tests are really just there to, to typically show what you know or what you don't know. They're, I used to think they were just kind of uh, uh, mean things that teachers did. Uh, you know, and they, they just did it to make your life miserable, but it's really not the purpose. The purpose is for the teacher to discover what you know about the given subject or topic. And so it, it's a revealer. It, it, it shows either you know it or you don't know it. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at James chapter 1, and we're only going to be in verses 2 through 4. Uh, We're going to take this kind of slow. We're not going to try to jump into a whole lot all at once because there's so much packed into here. But uh, tests are really um, something to reveal to you and I what we know or what we don't know. But if you think about a biblical test, and that's what this study this morning is about, it goes beyond that. It's a little bit deeper than that. It's going to reveal the genuineness of a person's faith, okay? Look, look at verses 2 through 4. Let's just read that together. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. It says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect results, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So it's talking about tests or trials, and we'll figure out a little bit more about what that really means. But it's going to reveal the genuineness of my faith in your faith. So when we get tested, it's a test of our faith. It, it's going to reveal, is it genuine? Is it without alloy? In other words, it's, it's like being tested by fire. Is it real? Is it fake? What needs to be burned away? What's going to be left once the fire is done testing? And it also develops something that's not there. So it's got a twofold aspect when we talk about tests in the scriptures, and especially in this text. It's going, going to reveal the genuineness of your faith, but it's also going to develop something that's not yet there. You know, when I take a test, if I go to school and, you know, Ben's in seminary right now, if he takes a, a test at seminary, it's going to reveal what he knows, but it's not going to do a very good job of developing what's not there. It's just going to show what he doesn't know. He's either going to make an A or he's going to make a B or a C or a D. But it's not going to develop anything new. It may show him what he needs to study for next time. But the neat thing about a test that we go under as believers is it it develops something in us. So it's got a twofold aspect to it. To start off this morning, I wanted to just throw out some scenarios and, and get you to think in your mind how you would respond to these scenarios. You and your wife, let's say, are she's pregnant and she goes into the hospital to deliver and your baby is surprisingly born with its bladder born outside its body. How would you respond to that? 
How would you react to that news? Um, you go home one day and your wife uh, surprisingly informs you she's leaving you. How would you respond to that? You uh, walk into work one day and uh, everything's great and you go into your office and there's a note there that says come into your boss's office. You go into your boss's office and he informs you that you no longer have a job there. How do you respond to that? How do you react to that? You go to the doctor for your annual checkup and uh, you hate it, but you finally go because your wife makes you and you get news that you've got prostate cancer. How do you respond to that? These are all scenarios that have happened to men in this fellowship sitting in this room. And there's a lot more of them, but how we respond to those are uh, a pretty good test on our faith, aren't they? Uh, they really reveal what we believe. You know, sometimes we crater, sometimes we get despondent, we get depressed, we get angry. Um, but they're a revealer of our faith, how we, how we respond to trials. And as we talk this morning, we're going to find out that this, this issue of trials is, is all about some things that happen that are unexpected. You know, we just read these verses, but again, it says, Consider it all joy. Isn't it amazing that James starts out his letter, he basically, verse 1, he greets him, and then he goes smack dab into this topic. He says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. If I'm getting this letter, I stop right there and go, you know, what are you smoking? What do you mean, consider it all joy when I encounter various trials? And remember, the people he's writing to are who? They're Jewish believers living outside of the land of Palestine, and they're already under pressure because they're Jews living in foreign lands. Now they're Christians living in foreign lands who are now rejected by their own brothers in the Jewish faith. They're doubly persecuted. And he says, Consider it all joy, my brother, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I mean, I have to just sit there and go, well, okay, where's this letter going? This is going to be fun. What do you mean consider it all joy? It's interesting that word, when you encounter various trials, it's uh, talking to Bill Egner last night, and he pointed this out to me. Uh, I'd never noticed this before, but it's only that, that word encounter is only used one other time in Scripture, and it's here in Acts 27:41, And it's about Paul. And he's in the boat, and it says, But striking a reef where two seas met, they ran the vessel aground, and the prow stuck fast and remained immovable, but the stern began to be broken up by the force of the waves. And, and the point is, is that it's a, it's a word when it says, When you encounter various trials, it's, it, it means that they come upon you suddenly, unexpectedly. It's a picture of you're out, you're out, I don't sail, but if you were a sailor, if you had your own sailboat, and you're out just beautiful day, sun's up, blue sky, what, no waves, and you've got the wind in your sail, and you're just sailing along, and your day is going great. It couldn't be any better. And then all of a sudden, you strike a reef. That's the picture here. Your day's going great. Your world's wonderful. Everything's just, just fine. And you and God are in you know, just a great mood together. And you get to work and your boss informs you that it's your last day. It's, it's that unexpected news, that unexpected trial. That's what he's talking about here. And it's not necessarily things having to do with living out your Christian faith. 
it's not just when you know you're at you're at your office and you're sharing the gospel with everybody at work and suddenly your boss comes in and said i've had enough of your christianity get out of here that's not the picture it's a picture of just living life as a believer and something happens that is unexpected what are you going to do with it how are you going to react to it it can be big it can be small it'd be just like if you walked out of here in 45 minutes and you walked out to your car and you had a flat that's a trial it's a test how are you going to react you're going to get angry you're going to fume you're going to get all bent out of shape is it going to ruin your day that you had a flat or are you going to look at it hey there's a reason behind this there's a purpose behind this i'm going to consider it all joy that's what he's telling you and i you know the message takes this this verse Verse 2 and says, consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. Consider it a gift. I don't know about you, but that's kind of hard to do, isn't it? When something really catastrophic happens, or even when something minor happens, to consider it a gift. You know, it, it, it's amazing how we react to different things and in, in, uh, I'll give you an example in my life, as I'm prone to do. I don't know why I do this, but I, I do. Um, the other night, I'm in bed, I'm asleep, the phone rings, and it's my daughter, 17-year-old daughter, and she's got our car. And that's not usually a good phone call. Uh, when you're asleep, that means it's night, your daughter's out with your car, and she calls. It's usually not good news, and she's at a friend's house for a party for somebody, and she says, Dad, Dad... I can't find my keys. And at least it wasn't a wreck. But, I mean, what do you mean you can't find your keys? Because I, I can't find my keys. And so I mean, I'm thinking, okay, i got to get up. I'm going to have to get dressed. I'm going to have to drive over to the other side of town. I'm going to have to take a key, and I'm, I'm already getting boiling. I'm just like, shh. What would you do with your keys? I don't know what I did with my keys. What, what, they they got to be somewhere. Have you looked for them? Yeah, we can't find them. I said, okay, go out to the car, and if you reach under the wheel well, there's one of those little magnet boxes, and it's got a key in it. Well, she goes out there, and she goes, I can't find it. Where is it? And I said, it's on the left-hand side. Reach under the wheel well. Where, where, where's the wheel well? And I'm like, oh. okay, you know where you get in the car to drive it, and I'm just getting really feeling Just reach your hand in there. And she, I am, Dad. I can't find it. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to get up and I'm going to have to drive. I'm going to reach my hand and I'm going to find it and then I'm going to really be mad. Well, finally she finds it. But at this point, I'm so bent out of shape, I can't even go back to sleep. I didn't handle that particularly well. But that's a trial. It's a test. How do you handle those when they come along? James is, is pretty blunt when he says how we're supposed to handle it. And we're going to look at that. You know, his assumption in this, this passage and really, this book, the book of James, is, it's a theology of, of suffering. That's really what the whole book is about. It's a, a theology of suffering. How are you going to handle the trials and the tribulations and the suffering of life as a believer? Because, see, he's assuming they're coming. And we're, we've all been around long enough to know that they are coming because they're inevitable, aren't they? Something is going to happen today. Minor maybe major but something's going to happen in your life it's going to be a test it's going to be a trial that it could be you get to work and you just get bad news about an account that you've been going after and you somebody else got it and you didn't get it or 
you, uh, you've been working on a document on your computer and the computer crashes and you lose the document. You get a letter from the IRS telling you you owe more money than you've ever had. You know, it could be anything that could happen. It's going to happen, though, because it's inevitable. He, notice he, he doesn't say if, but when you encounter various trials. When it comes, you're to react in a certain way. Why? Because as Christians, we must expect trials to come for no other reason than the fact that we're human and we live in a fallen world and it's going to happen. As believers, we are not inoculated from trials, are we? Uh, We wish we were, but we're not. So they're inevitable. They are going to come. And Jesus himself even told us this. Over in John 16, 33, he says, In the world you have what? You have tribulation. You have troubles. You have trials. You have different things coming your way. Paul also tells us, Through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Now, you don't hear that very often if you go to an evangelistic service, do you? You know, you don't have the evangelist blow into town and the first words out of his mouth, you know, through many tribulations, you enter the kingdom of God. But it's true that as long as I live here on this earth, I will encounter trials, tribulations, difficulties. And the question is not if, but really how. How will I respond to them when they come? And that's what James is all about. Also, it's important for us to understand that trials are not temptations. We often get this confused. These are not temptations to to do evil, and we'll expand on that in the next weeks ahead. That's not the word that's used here. He doesn't say, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various temptations. That is not the word. It has nothing to do with the solicitation to do evil. You know, it's, it's... you walk outside today, and, and as soon as you walk outside the door, there's, there's some lady in a short skirt and tight top, and, oh, you know, that's not the picture. Um, now, that may be a test for most of us, but that's not what he's picturing here. That's not what he's trying to get across. These are trials. They're difficulties. They're unexpected things that come into your life that hammer you, and they cause you to respond either one way or the other. It's the idea of a test. Trials come in various forms. Because what does he say? Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter what? Various trials. They come in all shapes and sizes, don't they? Uh, big, small. I don't, I don't really struggle too much with the big ones. Um, now, fortunately, I haven't had a whole lot of big ones. But, you know, the big ones sometimes are so big that there's not a whole lot we can do with them. You know, when your baby's born, as, as the example I gave you earlier, your baby's born with its, its bladder born outside its body. There's not a whole heck of a lot you can do about that, is there? Other than pray, trust God, and, and just ask that he would use the physicians to correct that problem. But if I encounter a flat tire, if I encounter something more minor I can tend to take it into my own hands. I can handle it my own way. I can get really frustrated and I can get angry and I can just kind of react in all kinds of ways. But they take various forms. They, they aren't all just big things. Some trials come simply because we're human. And I really think that's what he's talking about here. These are just the everyday things of life. They're just part of being human. Just because I'm a Christian doesn't mean I'm, I'm immune to them. It could be sick, sickness and accidents 
It could be disappointments. It could be death. You know, they're, they're going to come, guys. You've seen them happen to others. You've seen them happen to you. Other trials come because we're believers. They fit into this. Sometimes we are persecuted or we are under trial for our faith. And these people he's writing to were encountering difficulties because they had chosen to make Jesus Christ their Savior. They were Jews who had accepted Christ and were living in a foreign land where they were hated for being Jewish and now they were hated for being Christians. They were encountering trials and much of what we're going to look at in James is a, is a testament to that. But it's not just that, it's both. It's just the everyday stuff of life and it's also from being a believer. Second Timothy uh, confirms that. It says, indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be what? Persecuted. Persecuted for your faith. That, that can happen as well. The sad thing, I think, in the church today is that this kind of trial doesn't happen that much. I have never been fired from a job for being a Christian. I've never been persecuted on the job for being a Christian. Now, I may have been kind of made fun of or ridiculed or, you know, somebody made lighthearted jokes about it, but I've never lost my job for being a Christian. These people did. And there are people today who are not only losing their jobs, they're losing their lives for being a Christian. It doesn't happen a whole lot here in the United States, but it's happening all around the world. But we're told that those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So what's our response? He says, consider it all joy. You know, it's interesting. If you look at verse 1, he says, James, a bondservant of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. Now, we could blow right past that, but if you go back and look at that word, it's pretty interesting. In the Greek, it's the word to rejoice, be glad, joy be to you is basically what he's saying. So he says, joy be to you. And then in verse 2, he says, consider it all joy. He's, he's really hammering this issue of joy. He's saying, joy be to you. I want you to have joy. And then he says, and here's when I want you to have it. Anytime you encounter various trials. Because the next thing he says, he takes the same basic root word and he says, consider it pure joy. Pure joy when you encounter various trials. So how are we supposed to do that? It's like he's saying, yes, I really mean joy. He says, greetings, joy be to you. And then he says, consider it pure joy. Yeah, I'm really talking about joy, guys. Not joy when things are necessarily going great, but consider it joy when things are not going well at all. Consider it joy. Why? That's the big question for this morning. And I think there's probably more than me who look at this and go, Man, i got a problem with this. This does not make sense. This does not sound realistic. This sounds far-fetched. It sounds unapproachable, unattainable. But why does he tell us this? If we believe the book of James is pinned under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, therefore it's the Word of God, it's His Word to you and I, and it's not James telling us this, it's Jesus Christ Himself saying, consider it pure joy when you encounter various trials. How do we do it? How do we pull it off? This is, uh, this is pretty radical stuff. And at the very beginning of his ministry, we have in chapter 5 of Matthew, Jesus speaking and he's saying, Happy, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of things against you 
because of me. Rejoice. Be glad. For your reward in heaven is great. He's talking about a a different kind of perspective, isn't he? He's telling these people that it's not about the here and now. It's about the future. It's about having an eternal perspective. It's about setting your eyes on something out there so that you can exist here. It's not unlike if you're training for a, a marathon or you're, you're trying to get in shape or you're trying to do anything and you, you, you endure certain things with your eyes set on the goal. That I will put up with this and I will do it joyfully with joy because I know what's going to happen when I cross that finish line. It's, it's a picture of understanding the result of what you're going through. And not just fixating on the pain of what you're going through. It's interesting. It's the attitude not only of Jesus, but it's all throughout the scriptures. The apostles had the same attitude. Acts 5.41, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. See, this is radical stuff. It's How could you do that? Why would you rejoice for being considered worthy to suffer for his name. And again, we don't see that as much here in in the United States as you see it in other countries where Christians are persecuted. But you you talk to believers who rejoice that I get to go to prison because of Christ. And they go willingly and they go joyfully because they know that even in prison they'll get to share the gospel with lost people. And I read that and I talk to people like that and I just I don't understand it. But they're experiencing it. And it's, it's the, the attitude of the apostles. It was the attitude of Paul. Paul says, we exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. Very similar concept to what we're reading here in James. We exult. We rejoice. We gladly go through tribulations, knowing that what? This tribulation is going to bring about perseverance. And then he goes on and talks about what it produces, what it produces. He has his eyes set on the proper goal. It was the attitude of the early Christians. 1 Peter 4 tells us, But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exultation. Where's their focus? It's on his return. That you will have made it there, and you will, you will have survived, and you will have received your reward. It's keeping our focus on the right thing. See, for, for you and I, is when it hits, when it comes, I focus and I fixate on the problem. And I don't think about what I could learn through this problem. What could he be teaching me? And again, it could be something as simple as a flat tire. What can I learn from this? What can I glean from this? It could be that there's a divine appointment for you because of the delay in fixing your tire. It could be that that delay has kept you from getting on the highway and an accident takes place. We don't know all the things going on, but all, if all I fixate on is, dadgummit, this is the worst timing in the world. Why did you let this happen to me? I will learn nothing and I will grow and I will not mature in my faith. Because this is all about maturity. That's what James is obsessed about. So the first step he seems to tell us when we encounter trials and we want to turn them into triumph we want to turn them into something positive is immediately thank god and adopt a joyful attitude immediately thank god oh yeah okay i go outside and i got a flat tire thank you god 
Thanks for the flat tire. Thanks for letting my baby be born with its bladder outside its body. That is what he's saying, guys. It's thanking him that he thinks enough of you to allow you to go through these things so that he can train you and mature you and turn you into what he wants to turn you into, which is a man after God's own heart. See, we don't think of it that way. Why would you do this to me? Why would you make me do this? It's, it's like when I make my son go and run. He hates it. He hates it. And he only looks at it as a negative. Why do I have to do it tonight? I'm tired. Well, you need to go do it anyway. He hates it. But if he could understand the reason behind it so that he could be in better shape to play soccer and do better at what he does and so that he's not gassed at the end of the game and that he's got the stamina he needs if he could focus on the goal and understand the motivation behind it it would change his attitude and he would thank me but the same same thing is true with you and i and god thank him and adopt a joyful attitude here's just a series of quotes i ran across and studying for this the last couple of weeks seneca says our grief lies in our own opinion and apprehension of our miseries it's the way we look at things. Our grief lies in our own opinion. This stinks. I hate this. This is ridiculous. This is bad timing. This is, why did you let this happen? It creates apprehension of our miseries. I hate when this happens. I hate when this happens. How about this? Thomas Minton, a great theologian, Puritan, says, Miseries are sweet or bitter depending on how we view them. Miseries are sweet or bitter depending on how we view them. You ever met somebody going through a really tough time and they just have this incredibly positive attitude? And you sit there and go, how in the world can you be positive in a time like this? It's because of the way they've chosen to view it, that God's in it and God has a purpose behind it. Sufferings or trials are happy occasions to discover more of God. Man, what if we approached them that way? What if we walked into a situation and said, man... I don't understand it. I don't even particularly like it, but I'm going to rejoice in it because I'm going to get to see more of God in this situation. I'm going to get to see how God's going to work. If you have a financial difficulty, if you have a relational blow-up, if you have a physical thing happen in your family or to yourself, and you get to see God in the midst of your trial. If we could take this attitude, it would change so much of the way we approach the trials and tribulations of life. He goes on and says, Christians live above the world because they do not judge according to the world. See, as believers, we're to look at life differently than those around us. When we encounter different trials and tribulations, both large and small, we live above the world. We don't look at them like everybody else. But our tendency is to look at them that way. If I walk outside and I got a flat tire and the unbeliever walks outside and has a flat tire, I should respond to that differently than he or she does. But oftentimes, I don't. We're to live above the world because we don't judge. We don't see things from an earthly perspective. We see them through God's perspective that somehow, I don't understand how, but you're going to use this in my life. You're going to use this in someone else's life. How many times have you, you've, you've heard stories about somebody who unexpectedly had a tragedy, they go into the hospital, and something happens. A nurse comes to know Christ. Uh, somebody gets touched by the situation. Somebody gets led to this church because they come to a funeral 
And they never even knew this church existed. But they come because of a tragedy in somebody's life and they discover a fellowship or they discover Christ. We don't understand, but if we could begin to understand that God does and he's got a purpose behind everything, it would change the way we think. Hebrews 12, 11, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful later on. It produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Nobody likes discipline. But if we could understand that it is going to produce righteousness in my life, and that's exactly what James is going to get into, then I can begin to rejoice and say, okay, Lord, bring it on. Bring it on. I, don't, I wouldn't have chosen it. I don't particularly like it. But you know what? I'm going to rejoice in it because you know what you're doing. You know what you're doing. And I'm going to trust you. Paul in Romans says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. God is doing a work. You know, I would love if God could do that work without it including pain. I would love to be able to run a marathon without ever having to run. Doesn't that sound stupid? But isn't that the attitude we have? Is that, man, I want to be a Christ-like man. I want to be a God follower. I want to be a man after God's own heart. But just don't take me any through trials. I don't want any trials, Lord. I don't want it to hurt. I don't want any tests. I just want to get there. It will never happen unless you go through these things and you can begin to see God's hands in them. Second Corinthians, Paul again says, In all our troubles, my joy knows no bounds. This is a guy that knew all about trouble, didn't he? Beatings, imprisonments, shipwreck, lashes, you name it, he got it. And he was martyred for his faith. But he could sit in prison and say, My joy knows no bounds. Do you think he liked prison? No. Do you think he liked getting lashed? Don't think so. But he knew it was producing in him righteousness, and it was also producing righteousness in those who were his followers and who were listening to him. In all our troubles, sorrowful yet always rejoicing. You know, basically this verse tells me I don't necessarily have to enjoy it. This is not a surface happiness. You know, I walk outside and I got a flat tire and I'm dancing by my car. You know, hey, look at me. I got a flat tire. Come on. It's great. You can have one too. Let me get out my pocket knife and you can rejoice with me. That is not the picture here. It's, I don't have to love the flat tire, but I'm going to rejoice in the fact that, you know what? There's a purpose behind this. God's got a purpose. I'm going to fix it and I'm going to move on with my life and see what God does. And I'm going to watch him change my attitude. Doesn't mean you're going to have to enjoy it. Your baby's born with a, a physical def- infirmity. You don't have to sit there and go, praise God, you know, my baby's born with his bladder outside its body. This is wonderful. I wish it could happen to you. That is not what he's saying. It's saying that, you know what, I'm going to rejoice that my God is sovereign. He knows what he's doing. And he is going to work a miracle in some way, form, or fashion. He's going to do something great. I don't know what it is, but he's in charge. And he's going to mold and make me into the man he wants me to be. Peter Davids, in his commentary on the book of James, says this, If one looks at the difficult situation not merely from the perspective of the immediate problem, but also from the perspective of the end result God is producing, one can have a deep joy. This is not a surface happiness, but an anticipation of future reward in the end times. Okay, Lord, 
it's, it's out there. I get a reward. I get, I get to spend eternity with you. But there's also the joy that, you know what? I am being transformed. You and I both know hindsight is twenty twenty. We get down the road and we look back and we say, man, that period of life that I went through in the 80s when I lost my business and it went under, it was one of the worst periods of my life, but I would not trade it for anything in the world because it was a refining moment in my life. It revealed so much about me. It revealed pride. It revealed arrogance. It revealed all kinds of things in my life. Would I ever want to go through it again? Not in your life. But I don't regret having gone through it. I rejoice in the fact that he used that to transform my life. And you can go through areas, periods of your life and you know that was God's hand. But if you had had the choice, you would never have gone through it. You'd have, you would have rejected it. You would have prayed your way out of it. But God knows what he's doing. There's a purpose behind trials. What's our natural reaction, though? Here's a few that I wrote down. Confusion. Why is this happening to me? Why, why do I have a flat tire? Why does my baby have to be born this way? Why is my wife walking out on me? Why does this have to happen to me? Why did I lose my job? Why couldn't it be him? Why did I get termites? Why couldn't my neighbor get termites? Why me? Confusion. Fear. What's going to happen now? I lost my job. Now what am I going to do? How am I going to provide for my family? What am I going to do with my baby? What am I going to do with out of wife? What am I going to do... Just the fear that grips us. How about anger? How can they do that to me? Or how can you, God, do that to me? You have no right to do that to me. What did I do to hurt you? Don't ever ask God that question. Don't ever ask God that question. But we get so angry and we get so angst over, you know, how can that happen to me? And then self-pity. Won't somebody feel sorry for me? Won't somebody just weep with me and, you know, have pity with me? None of these are necessarily bad or evil. But, guys, it's, it's where we tend to stop. And then we envy. Why aren't they suffering like me? That's a sick form of envy. Hey, they're doing good. He still has his job. He still has his wife. His baby was born healthy. Why can't... Why wouldn't his baby be born unhealthy? It's envy. These are all natural reactions. But he goes on, he says, Consider it all joy, knowing that... Knowing what? What does he say? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. It produces endurance. See, the knowing why is the key. As we go through trials, if we know that God's got a purpose... It will help us rejoice. And the little scenario he gives us is you go through trials. Trials bring about testing. Testing produces perseverance. And perseverance produces maturity. That's, that's the pattern. But, you know, for the non-believer, you know where it stops is right at the testing. It never goes any further. They can't mature. They can't go beyond the testing. They can't develop perseverance. And they never mature. But that's also, also true for many of us as Christians because we reject the testing. We get angry, bitter, we go into self-pity, we envy, all of those things we just looked at. We get stuck there and we never move on to perseverance and then to maturity. 
James is telling these people, and he's telling you and I, we need to move on to maturity. Because as we grow, here's what we understand. Trials test our faith. It's all about testing your faith. Faith tested brings out the best in us. But if it never gets tested, how do you know where your faith stands? How do you know how faithful you really are in God? It's like if you never take a test, how do you know what you know? How do you know what you believe? Do you really believe God is who he says he is? You know what will reveal that is a test, a trial. Faith tested brings out the best in us. Just like fire purifies gold. 1 Peter 1, 7, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We are being refined. We're being tested. Just like you test gold, you, you set fire to it, and it, it burns away all the garbage, and it leaves the pure gold. That is what is happening in my life and your life. We're having burned away all the stuff that's not of value. And just like the metaphor of the, the athlete training... You train and you, you get rid of the extra fat and the extra weight and, and you turn fat into muscle and you, you transform yourself. That is exactly what is happening through this testing. Paul says, I discipline my body like an athlete. That means he beats it black and blue. Training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. The word he uses there is discipline. To beat black and blue, it's like a boxer who buffets his body to get into shape. He handles it roughly. He's hard on it. Why? Because he's got a goal. He's got an objective. We can have joy in trials because we know that testing works for us and not against us. This is not some sick joke by God that, you know, hmm, gosh, what could I do to Ken today? What would really hack him off? What would really just great on his nerves and ruin his I want to ruin his day today and I want to see just how much a loser he really is that is not what God is doing he's working with us and for us not against us and those tests or trials rightly used help us to mature rightly used as we rightly respond as we learn to rejoice in them and this is a process guys you're not going to just walk out today going okay every trial I face I'm going to rejoice you will gradually learn to do this I will gradually learn to do this. Again, Paul says in Corinthians, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. It's working for our benefit. It's producing something in us. Faith tested produces endurance. That's what he says. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Paul says the same thing in Romans. We exult in our tribulations knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. Perseverance, proven character, proven character, hope. See, there's a process. But if we pray away all the trials, what are you ever going to learn? It'd be like going to the gym every day and looking at the weights. You know, man, those look heavy. Man, I bet if I pick those up, nah. Gosh, I wish I looked like him. Gosh, I wish I was in better shape. Faith tested produces endurance. Having your faith tested by all these trials that come along is what produces what we need. In the Bible, guys, endurance is not a passive acceptance of your circumstances. It's not just rolling over and going, oh, great. 
Here's another trial. Oh, oh well. I got a flat tire. I'll just drive on it. I'll walk. I'll call a cab. I'll call my wife and have her change it. It's not a passiveness. It's not this just, you know, Eeyore, you know, oh gosh. The Greek word carries the idea to remain under the ability to exhibit steadfastness and constancy in the face of difficulty. See, he's trying to develop in me the ability to take these trials head on and I've got steadfastness, I've got endurance, I've got this ability to not wilt under it and crater because of it. I'm able to endure it. I'm, I'm strong. Again, it's, you take the metaphor of working out that after a while you are able to handle the weight. You're able to move on to heavier weight. You're able to take gr- longer runs because you're in better shape. That's the picture here. And so when the trial comes, you're prepared. When that big hit comes, you're able to handle it because you're, you've learned to handle the small things along the way. It is continuing on despite the circumstances. Keeping on, keeping on. It's not just passive, putting up with it. I guess I'll have to endure because God did it. No, it's, it's, it's an endurance. It's a patient continuance. Patient continuance. Well, let's wrap this thing up this morning. Every passage we've looked at, including the one in Hebrews you just, you just looked at together, carries this idea that endurance is about letting things finish. Going to the finish, not giving up. And too often, you and I, what we want to do is we want to get out of the trials and difficulties as quickly as we can. We just want to move on. And again, just think how ridiculous that would be in any other context of life. If, if you're working out and you're trying to get in shape and, you know, the first time you start lifting weights and it hurts and you get, wake up the next morning and every muscle in your body hurts and you just say, well, man, that hurts. I'm not going back to that place. That's painful. You will not get very far, will you? You'll not develop any endurance in life. It's the same picture of de- developing our faith and growing into maturity. Let God finish. It'd be like going in for surgery and, and the doctor makes the first incision and, and it kind of hurts. You feel it and it's like, man, that hurts. Stop. Just sew me back up. I'm done. Well, I haven't finished. But I don't care. That hurts. If it hurts this bad now, I can't imagine when you're done what it's going to Just stop. That's just ridiculous. It's stupid. But that's what we do with God. We, we need to let him finish. God wants us to learn to endure trials without grumbling, without complaining. Are we going to do that immediately? No. Are we going to do that every time? No. But he wants us to learn to do that and to continue doing good in spite of the trials that come our way. Don't let them sidetrack you. Don't let them get you off your path of faith because that's exactly what the enemy wants to do and many of these trials come from the enemy you know he knows our hot buttons he knows how to sidetrack us finally and the key point for this morning is endurance produces spiritual maturity he goes on and says in verse 4 let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing perfect result perfect complete doesn't mean that you're going to be sinless. That's not going to happen until the Lord returns or we get to go to heaven first. But it means whole and mature. You're growing in maturity. You're growing in your, your spiritual walk. And it refers to those who've attained spiritual manhood in Christ. 
having reached full maturity and understanding in spiritual matters. Guys, we're not there yet, but isn't this to be our objective? Isn't this to be our goal? That I want to grow, I want to be more mature, I want to be complete, I want to be lacking in nothing. That's James's goal for, for not only himself but for these people, and it's also the goal for each one of us. So how are you going to handle the trials of life? The next time a test comes your way, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Are you going to get angry, upset, self-pity, envy? What are you going to do? Confused? Or are you going to learn to rejoice in it, knowing that God has a purpose, and his purpose is to transform you into the likeness of his son, Christ's likeness? The difference is going to be your perspective, how you view it, both the small tests and the big ones. Lord, what are you going to do through this? How are you going to use this to transform me? And I know there are men in this room whose lives have been transformed through the trials of life. Even, even having your wife walk out the door, having lost a child, having um, a tragedy strike your home, losing your business, losing your income, you have seen God use that trial to transform your life, and it's changed your perspective. But many of us have short memories. And the next time a trial comes, we forget how we used the first trial, and we question why we have to go through this one. He's a faithful God. He's a loving God. And he will use these trials to transform us. Would you pray with me? Over in 1 Thessalonians, Paul says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Father, I pray that you would develop in us an attitude that we rejoice in the trials and the tests of life, the difficulties that come our way, just simply for being humans living in a fallen world, that, Father, we would understand that we get to grow through tests, whereas most people on this planet don't. They just simply get to go through them. Father, I just pray that you would help us to have a, an eternal perspective that your goal is Christ-likeness for us. Your goal is holiness. Your goal is to develop men who are like Christ and that we can joy in our tribulations. We can find comfort in the fact that you're using them to transform us. Father, I don't particularly want them. I don't even ask for them because they're going to come. But help me to just see them as an opportunity for you to make me into the man you want me to be. And help us to learn from one another as we see each other go through these trials and as we see tests come into another man's life to learn through what he goes through. Father, thank you that you love us. Thank you that there's a purpose behind these things. And you are transforming us into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you for that. And we pray this in his name.